Thank you, Jesus. Thank you, Jesus. Oh, there is a sweet presence of the Lord here tonight. Amen. I'm so thankful that we can gather in his presence here in the house of the Lord. You may be seated for just a moment. At this time, I'll go ahead and dismiss the children and the students to go to their classes. Um, and I'd like to give a quick shout out to all the teachers. I know some of them are out already, but for their hard work in uh, preparing the lessons week in and week out. And let's put our hands together for them as they, as they go and teach. Amen. Tonight we have a, a timely 10 that will be delivered from Brother Mac Underwood. So I would like to invite him to come up at this time to make his way up here. And let's give God some praise as he makes his way up here. Amen. Amen. Anybody glad to be in TCOO? On a Wednesday night. Amen. The week may have been tough, but you made it to Wednesday. You made it to the house of the Lord. Amen. I don't want to take up too much time this evening, so if you'll join me in the reading of the word, we're going to go to John chapter 4. We're going to start at verse 31, and we're going to read till 34, and you can keep your Bible open to that this evening. We're going to spend a lot of time uh, in this chapter and go over it. I also want to say while you turn to that, thank you to Bishop and the pastoral staff for this opportunity to bring the word for a few moments this evening. Amen. So I'll go ahead and start reading for us, starting at verse 31. In the meanwhile, his disciples prayed him, saying, Master, eat. But he said to them, I have meat to eat that ye know not of. Therefore said the disciples one to another, Hath any man brought him aught to eat? Jesus saith unto them, My meat is to do the will of him that sent me and to finish his work. Amen. I'm going to say a quick prayer. Lord, thank you for letting us gather in your dwelling place this evening. I pray you anoint me as I speak your word, Lord. That will make a difference in someone's life, make a difference in my life, that we may not leave here the same way we walked in, Lord. In your name we pray. Amen. Amen. So let, allow me for a brief moment to give you some context to this, uh, these verses in John that we just read uh, the story that we're reading here in John, Jesus was leaving Judea and heading to Galilee. The normal route that a person of Jewish heritage uh, would travel from this time is that they would actually travel around Samaria. So there was another route that they would take to go around Samaria, uh, whereas Samaria was in between Judea and Galilee. So that was the normal route just due to the strained relationship between Samaritans and Israelites. Uh, they would prefer to go around. But on this journey, Jesus had another, another travel plan in mind. He took a different route. And it said in verse 4 of that same chapter, and he must needs go through Samaria. So Jesus had a need, as we see here, to not go the traditional route to uh, Galilee, but he needed to go through Samaria, which was not common. Nevertheless, what Jesus wants, Jesus does. So Jesus went and he reached the town after about what's estimated a three-day journey of traveling. He reaches his town, and it's the city of Sychar. And he stopped at Jacob's well, which was located there. And while he was at Jacob's well, it says he was wearied, and his disciples went to town and grabbed some meat while Jesus sat there. And then this is where we find the story of the woman at the well, uh, which is a story in which Jesus tells this woman about the living water. And he reveals to her that he is the Christ that she heard about, therefore changing her life forever. So that's a little context to where we are uh, as we re read those verses. And then that brings us to the, the vocal point of what I want to talk about uh, this evening. So the disciples then come back and they bring Jesus meat. 
Keep in mind, as I said earlier, Jesus had been traveling. It's estimated about three days he's been traveling up to this point. And surely after three days of journeying, walking, all of that, you know, Jesus is tired. It even says, like I said in verse 6, now Jacob's well was there. Jesus, therefore, being wearied with his journey, sat thus on the well. And it was about the sixth hour. So Jesus was obviously tired, as we see there. He was hungry. Three days journey, like I said. Put yourself in that mindset. I get hungry after a three-hour car ride, so I can't imagine what Jesus felt like traveling in this situation. So, you know, we know Jesus, as he was fully God, he was also fully flesh. He was fully man. In the Bible, it says that he suffered the same temptations that we suffered. So Jesus, like us, gets hungry, right? You know, that was one of his temptations. I was turning the stone into bread. Jesus gets hungry. I mean, that's just who he is. So I can imagine as the disciples brought Jesus this meat, he could probably smell the aroma of the meat. And you know, uh, your stomach starts to growl when you get real hungry. His, you could probably hear his stomach begin to growl a little bit as he got the aroma and his mouth probably got a little, uh, started getting, just could taste that meat already. He could probably see it. But Jesus took this opportunity to teach a lesson. He took this opportunity to show us a principle here in these verses. He denied the meat and said that he had meat that they did not know about. The disciples were confused as to who brought Jesus meat in their absence. They were probably like, who took our job of taking care of Jesus? So Jesus goes on to further explain what the meat was that he was referring to. In verse 34, he said, my meat is to do the will of him that sent me and to finish his work. Jesus denied the temporary pleasure that would have come of getting that meat that was offered to him. He, he denied that momentary pleasure because he wanted to show us that his meat, what fulfilled him, was not here on earth. What fulfilled him was not to, to, to find what on this earth, what on this planet could give him satisfaction or fulfillment. But his meat, what sustained him, was fulfilling his purpose. And that was found in the perfect plan that was his life. Like Jesus, we must not find our fulfillment in the temporary satisfaction that this world offers. We live in a world satisfied and centered around satisfaction, centered around gratification, and it's easy for someone to center their life based on those principles. It's easy for someone to go after a temporary object in this world and base their entire existence on getting that house or getting that job or getting that thing that's only here for a moment. As we know, and the Bible shows us, this, this earth is but a vapor. Our time here is quick, but people spend their lives focused on these things that are only temporary. When in reality, it will never fulfill them. It will never offer them what they're looking for because true fulfillment, true purpose only comes through God. Everyone has a call in their life to do something for the Lord, whether that be general or specific. We all have been called. That is our, that is our theme for this year is called. We all have a call on our lives as individuals and as a church, and we will never be full until we pursue that call of God on our life. Like Jesus, we can't hunger after the meat of this world, but we must hunger after the will of God. So I, I want to tell you a quick story, um, time permitting, of uh, whenever I was in Brazil. Um, I was an aimer in Brazil for some time, uh, or a short-term missionary, however you'd like to phrase it. And I was picking the brain of my now mother-in-law, that's weird to say. Um, but at the time, she was just a mentor in my life, influential figure. Uh, in my life, and she was telling me about when they first came to Brazil and they first uh, got there as missionaries. They had sold everything. Uh, they had sold their house. They left their, their church, their friends, everything. I mean, it's, 
It's the life of a missionary. You sacrifice everything. And she was in Brazil after this. And you can imagine. Imagine you're in her shoes. Your brain's probably going a million miles a minute. You can't imagine, you know, what tomorrow holds. You've got nothing. Um, you gave everything up, and now you're here. And, you know, you can obviously imagine that she was worried and anxious like we would be. But she told me that that night, that first night in Brazil, she laid her head down on her pillow, that she could never explain the peace that she felt that night, that outweighed all the bad, everything, all the questions she had. She felt the peace because she knew she was in the perfect will of God for her life. And that's something you can't put a price on. That's something that no house, no job, no, no, no friends can amount to being able to say, I'm in the perfect will of God for my life, and I'm exactly where he wants me to be. It's priceless. So we cannot find our fulfillment. We cannot find that satisfaction. You will never find peace in this world. It is only found through Jesus in which we will find that fulfillment on our lives. There's a Jesus-sized hole inside of every single person on this planet, and we look to fill it with things and temporary objects, but there will never be fulfillment in our lives until we can pursue the call of God. Right after these verses that I just told you about, uh, where Jesus was mentioning that his meat is to do the will uh, of him that sent him, he, he goes on to say that, he goes on to reveal that the perfect will that he was referring to was that he told his disciples, excuse me, that the fields are white and ready to harvest. Jesus was saying that the meat that he was referring to that fulfilled him and that satisfied him was the lost. It was souls. That was the reason he came. He came to save the lost, to give us hope. That was the calling and the fulfillment that he was referring to. That is what, what satisfied him. That day, it wasn't the meat that they were offering that filled Jesus that day. That's not what he ate. But what he ate that day was the fact that he reached a Samaritan woman who was lost, who was hurt, who was broken, who was in a situation where she was in bondage of sin. But he showed her that he is the living water, and he saved her. Like Jesus, we must find our fulfillment in that purpose, which is reaching the lost. The harvest is ready. The harvest is now, is what he said. He said, people wait for the right time to come, but the harvest is ready now. And we will never find our, our fulfillment as individuals and as a church body until we get serious about the harvest. Amen. Why don't we pray real quick as Pastor Trevor comes up and delivers his word. Amen. Thank you, God, for this opportunity. We pray that we continue to move in your spirit in this service. Allow us to hear your voice as Pastor Trevor brings the word, Lord, and let your will be done. Amen. Hallelujah. Thank you, Jesus. Amen. Amen. What a wonderful word we just heard. Amen. A timely word indeed. And uh, I don't know if Brother Mac was looking at my notes or not, but uh, you're going to hear a lot of similarities from me tonight. Amen. I'm thankful that the Lord works in ways as such. Amen. Um, you know, I'm, th I'm also thankful for these timely tens that we get to hear. You know, it's a real special time for those who have been called upon to deliver the word of the Lord and allow the Lord to use them in, in, in the way that he chooses. Um, they've stepped up to the plate and delivered the word, but not only delivered, but they've followed through and allowed God to flow through them. Um, I often wonder how I'm going to uh, follow up such a great message or follow such a great message and again thank you brother mac for the word of the lord that you shared uh, for the rest of our time together i want to direct your attention to the book of matthew <clears throat> excuse me book of matthew starting in chapter 9 and i want to read verse 30 start with verse number 35 
Matthew chapter 9, verse 35, and I've got quite a, quite a long uh, passage here to read. So, verse 35 says, And Jesus went about all the cities and villages, teaching in their synagogues, and preaching the gospel of the kingdom, and healing every sickness and every disease among the people. But when he saw the multitudes, he was moved with compassion on them, because they fainted and were scattered abroad as sheep having no shepherd. Then, he, then says he to his disciples, The harvest truly is plenteous, but the laborers are few. Pray you therefore the Lord of the harvest, that he will send forth laborers into his harvest. In verse 1 of chapter 10, And when he had called to him his twelve disciples, he gave them power against unclean spirits to cast them out. Excuse me, and to heal all manner of sickness and all manner of disease. And uh, going down to verse number five, these twelve Jesus sent forth and commanded them, saying, "Go, go not into the way of the Gentiles and into the city of the Samaritans. Enter you not, but go rather to the lost sheep of the house of Israel. And as you go, preach, saying, The kingdom of heaven is at hand. Heal the sick, cleanse the lepers, raise the dead, cast out devils. Freely you have received." Freely give. And for the remainder of our time tonight, uh, I want to travel down a road uh, for the remainder of our time on our call to harvest. And, and my title for tonight is The At Hand Harvest. The At Hand Harvest. And we already prayed, so I'm going to get right into the word for tonight. Amen? Amen. So before Jesus sent his disciples out as sheep among wolves, he told them that while the harvest was great, the laborers were few. The message that was given was twofold, to remind them of their purpose in going and to implore them to go. They have this mighty task ahead of them. The laborers are few. As I read this, I put myself right there in the shoes of these disciples because it's not just those disciples that Jesus is speaking to. The same word is for us today as disciples of Christ. Reading these words of Jesus, the thought that comes over me and moves so heavy in me, and Jesus also says, is that it's time. It's time to go. It's time to share. It's time to witness. It's time to declare. It's time to be that light to the darkness. And furthermore, that time is now. The time is now. And when Jesus said that the laborers were few, what Jesus is saying is that there are more unsaved people in the world than there are those that are saved. Now hear me for just a moment. And at that time and now in the present, that is true. It's true because while generations are rising to that of the knowledge of the glory of the Lord and understanding and submitting to the word, there are also those generations that are rising that never knew Jesus. It is estimated, a fact that I found, that 385,000 babies are born every single day. That's over 140 million per year. Now, without looking too deep into that, when I read that, I really had a perspective shift on this harvest being plenty. How many of those babies will grow up knowing about Jesus? Will the gospel reach their family? Will the gospel reach them? In speaking of the generation that does not know the truth, I believe that Jesus is in the generational curse-breaking business. He looks at all these generations of not knowing him and said, they are still there. They still need a savior. I know they need me, Jesus says. They may not know Jesus. Some have never heard of Jesus. But Jesus desires them to know him. Jesus does not want to see 
anyone perish. And oh, that, that, would be, that we would put on the mindset of Jesus and his compassion for lost souls. Jesus, as the master and savior of the world, wants to reach these lost souls. And he is imploring his disciples to have that same mindset. To reach for those who are lost. To be the hands and the feet of Jesus. The body of Christ is the boots on the ground for Jesus. Our feet are shod with the preparation of the gospel of peace. We are the mission to the vision that's been declared. The vision that we've received, we've got to put our feet on the ground and get moving. We can't just stand still anymore, church. Not that we are standing still, but we've got to keep moving. We've got to keep moving with the gospel to every creature, to the uttermost parts of the earth. In Habakkuk chapter 2, verse 14, God proclaims, For the earth shall be filled with the knowledge of the glory of the Lord as the waters cover the sea. This verse is found and spoken in the middle of a very chaotic time, the time that is to come, in the middle of this mass chaos, in the middle of this time that is to come at the end, the earth shall be filled. As the waters cover the sea, the earth shall be filled with an awareness both saved and unsaved of the Lord. With this in mind, it begs the question of how can the lost and dying world be reached? I know there may be a simple answer, and it's the church. It's the body of Christ. We are the messengers of the good news of Jesus Christ. It's the church on Monday, Tuesday, Wednesday, Thursday, Friday, and Saturday. It's the church on the weekdays. It's the church on every day that ends with why. In other words, every day. I'm telling you, and you know, that the things that are happening in this world, that normal will be something that can never be reached again. And I do not say that to despair, but to tell someone and to implore you again that the harvest is great. You are sent out as sheep among wolves, but the great shepherd still goes before you. The great shepherd is still leading the charge as he should. Be not overcome with evil, but overcome evil with good. Be not conformed to the world, but be transformed by the renewing of your minds. The harvest is great, and it's time for the laborers to go. And I don't say that to say that there are no laborers going, laborers going, because there are many who have gone and those who are currently going. I do say this to encourage you to keep going, to keep Pressing, And as you are going, it's uh, spoken in the sense of as you are doing the things that you do daily. Yes, there is a time and a place for strategic door knocking and evangelistic efforts. And I love being a part of those efforts. I'll do that until God tells me not to, which he won't. But these planned efforts only take a couple of hours out of your week, if even that. What about the other 166 hours of the week? How am I reaching people during those times? How am I reaching people when I'm sitting at my desk at work? How am I reaching people as I am going? But before we can reach the harvest, there first must be a realization that there is a harvest. And further, for there to be a harvest, how does a harvest begin? How is there to be a harvest without a seed first being sown? And I want, to take, I want you to turn to the passage in Matthew chapter 13 about the parable of the sower, starting with verse number 1. It says, The same day when Jesus went out of the house and sat by the seaside, 
And great multitudes were gathered together to him, so that he went into a ship and sat. And the whole multitude stood on the shore. And he spoke many things to them in parables, saying, Behold, a sower went forth to sow. And when he sowed, some seeds fell by the wayside, and the fowls came and devoured them up. Some fell upon stony places where they had not much earth, and immediately they sprung up, because they had no deepness of earth. And when the sun was up, they were scorched, and because they had no root, they withered away. And some fell among thorns, and the thorns sprung up and choked them. But others fell into good ground and brought forth fruit, and some hundredfold, some sixtyfold, some thirtyfold. Who has ears to hear, let him hear. Amen. We read here that Jesus talks about these four different types of land in which the sower sows these seeds. Jesus is speaking to the people here, speaking in parables as he does so often with the disciples by his side. What Jesus did not say is, don't sow your seed here or don't sow your seed there. No, Jesus desires this seed, which is the gospel, to be sown everywhere. To take no thought to where you sow it, but just sow it, being mindful of how, but not where. When we read this parable just a few, few, few verses later, Jesus explains what the four types are to his disciples and how we can understand them better. Jesus did not say to watch out for the different types, but I believe that he explained these in such a way to give the preparation to the disciples for what to expect from the different types of land that these seeds will land on, as well as to help them with the harvest that would come later from these seeds being planted. So for the next bit of our time, I want to take you through what Jesus explained as the four types to help us understand the difference between the four and also some similarities, starting with verse 18 in Matthew 13. Verse 18, Hear you therefore the parable of the sower. When anyone hears the word of the kingdom and understands it not, then comes the wicked one and catches away that which is sown in his heart. This is he which received the seed by the wayside. So in this first one, we see which is the seed being thrown by the wayside. Some translation makes this out to be a hard ground, a ground that is not able to accept any vegetation or plant life. To begin with this, we see how generously the sower is sowing these seeds. He's throwing seeds even on the beaten paths, the hardest ground. This type of ground would be one that simply rejected the truth without taking any time to consider it. Like a seed cannot bring life in hard-pressed soil, the gospel cannot take root in a hardened heart. Talk, and in verse number 20, but he that receives the seed in stony places... The same as he that hears the word and, or, and anon or immediately with joy receives it. Yet he has no root in himself but endures for a while. For when tribulation or persecution arises because of the word, by and by he is offended. So this second place the seed was sown was that of the rocky ground. On this rocky ground there was soil, but the soil was thin. And as we read, the seed would start to grow, and sometimes there would even be these signs of life for all others to see, but that life was short-lived. The soil is simply not deep enough to sustain life. There's not enough water for the plant, so eventually the sun will scorch out all of the life. From studies I've read, this ground can represent the person who is initially very enthusiastic, but their roots never run deep. Life happened. Tragedy strikes, or they simply did not prioritize Jesus in their life. They got busy, and their faith faded. 
A sad reality is that their roots never got below the surface. They could not survive the trials and hardships of life. As believers and followers of Christ, we need deep roots that are continually renewed and refreshed. But I will talk about that more in a little bit. Continuing with verse 22, He also that received the seed among the thorns is he that hears the word and the cares of the world and the deceitfulness of riches chokes the word and he becomes unfruitful. So the third was among the thorns and, and the weeds, if you will. What we can see from this one is that there was enough good soil and the good seeds could take root. But it's not just the seeds that took root. The thorns also try to take advantage of that same soil. When this happens, the thorns eventually choke out the good seeds, which leads to the young seeds not being able to survive. This seed is representative of those who may look good on the outside, but have let sin creep in on the inside. Although they may not say that, excuse me, although they may say that Jesus is Lord, their lives tell a different story. They have not fully turned their lives over to him. Eventually, they do not turn their lives over to him, and this path leads to death. In picturing this, we should see this not as a seed being thrown in the middle of a patch of weeds. The thorns, if any are there after the hot, dry summer, would be plowed underneath, underneath where the seed would be sown. What we can picture this is a good seed competing with a bad seed for the ground. So in other words, this seed is being sown. There's already thorns underneath that are going to grow in that same place because they weren't taken care of before. You see, sometimes we can, we can till up those thorns, but God wants us to get rid of those thorns so the ground can be good. So the ground can be acceptable. The, this one sticks out to me in particular because Jesus continues in another parable right after this one about the four types, about the wheat and the tares, or, or the weeds, if you will. The sower sowed the good seed. The enemy came in the middle of the night and sowed tares. When the crop had been produced, the tares or the weeds also appeared. This confused the sower because the sower only sowed good seed. But rather than telling the sower to go and pick the tares, to get rid of the tares, Jesus... Or the, the, the gardener, if you will, told them to wait. Why? Because there was still a good crop even in the presence of tares. There was still hope even though the enemy may have planted some things without the sower knowing. He knew that there would still be good coming from that. Let both grow until the harvest, Jesus said. Gather the tares together to be burnt and gather the wheat into my barn. If the sower would have taken it upon himself to rip out the tares in the ground rather than letting Jesus receive the increase, it would have been detrimental to the entire crop. It would have been detrimental. You see, church, sometimes we see bad stuff happening in other people's lives, in another person's life. Anybody there right now or been there in the past? where you see some bad things happen in another person's life. We see the person who is making some wrong choices, as, and as much as we just want to step in and say, get yourself together, we've all been there, and we've all done it. Sometimes, not all the time, but sometimes we too just need to let the tares grow with the wheat and allow God to get whatever increase is there. We need to let God 
pull those tears if he so chooses. And what's more, that person should recognize themselves that they need to pull the tears. And I will come back to this in a minute because while it's important that we recognize this in others, we also need to be able to recognize this in ourselves. Moving to verse 23, but he that received seed into the good ground is he that hears the word and understands it, which also bears fruit and brings forth some 100, some 60, and some 30. And finally, we see this good soil, the fertile soil, the soil that was ready to receive and produce the crop, which would lead to a bountiful harvest. We, come to, we can come to understand that the soil represents those who hear the gospel and follow Jesus. Their roots go deep and can sustain the hardships of life. They have guarded their hearts to ensure no thorns can choke out their life, can choke out their walk with God. They are primed and ready to grow, and grow they do. Their lives produce more than they could have ever imagined. Church, while it is good to understand these so that we can potentially help other people overcome things, Jesus also desires that we look at ourselves. And when the Lord put this sort of shift in my spirit, I, I, I stepped step back a little bit and I said, okay, we're going we're gonna to talk about this for others, but now it's time to look right here. It's time to look right here. So for the next few moments, I want us all to just kind of look at ourselves for a moment because I'm doing the same thing while I'm up here. I've done it before. I'll do it again. You've always got to take a look at yourself. Amen? If I were to find myself as any of these grounds, anyone at all, I would want to be made aware of that so I can make the changes necessary to get to that ground which is good and ready. To better understand it, think of it like this. All of these grounds that the seeds were sown on were somewhat the same. The difference between the soils is, that what's, is what's been added to them and how it's been cultivated or not. If you find your heart to be hardened, like the hardened ground that did not produce, I can and only want to tell you that Jesus is the only one who can soften your heart. And I'm thankful that there are messengers who have been sent to me to help me with that, who have sown the seed and watered the seed. But if it weren't for Jesus, if it weren't for Jesus, I don't know where I'd be. Do you believe that he is the only one who can make all things new? If I can put it in such a way, your heart is hardened because you've allowed it to get dry. You've allowed it to crack. You've allowed it to, to the, 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 the water to seep from it. What happens to the ground that is cracked and dried when you add water? It becomes soft again. But the water has to be added continually. Some more than others, more sometimes and, and maybe less some others. And as a person continues with Jesus, their hearts turn from that of stone to that of flesh. Why? Because Jesus is filling their cup. <laughs> their cup overflows only by Jesus. Hallelujah. Their cup continues to overflow because they continue to seek the face of Jesus even when they can't feel him even when they can't see him or hear him working. Their cup overflows. 
I remember, and remember that Jesus is the potter. Remember that Jesus is the potter, and we are the clay. Anybody ever tried to work with clay that wasn't ready to be worked, and how hard it is? And sometimes, you know, the clay is really cold, and you've got to use your wrists and use your muscles to just get it softened again. And sometimes God just has got to do that. Sometimes we've grown cold. Sometimes we've grown like the, the church of, of Laodicea that's neither hot nor cold. And God wants to, God wants to get us warmed up again. And, and he uses his hands to, to mold us and to shape us. And as we get warm, we're filled with the spirit again. Are you hearing me right now? And as he fills us with the spirit, we get softer and softer and more moldable and moldable. And the only way we stay moldable is if we stay with him and we continue to be filled with him. Amen. If you find yourself in the shallow soil where maybe a seed has been sown, but then life got in the way, can I tell somebody if that's you that, that just because life throws curveballs your way does not mean that Jesus has hung you out to dry? Sometimes these stones appear in our lives not to deter us in our walk with God, but to force us to go deeper. You see, these stones were only on the surface. That's, that's what I pictured them as anyway. These stones were, the stony ground, if you will, was on the surface. But when you go deeper below the stone, which sits on the surface, as I stated before, life happens and tragedy sometimes strikes. Trust me, I've been through some tragic things, and I know you have too. But it's what you do during those times that will reflect who you look to. Oh, that you would look to Jesus through where your help comes from and further the busyness of life can sometimes overtake a person but when you find yourself so wrapped up in these things if you would just look up to Jesus take these moments that you need to find your refreshing in him so that you can continue with what you're doing I know sometimes life can be overbearing I know sometimes work can feel like you are the only one doing anything I know that you may be grasping for air at times but rather than choosing to suffer through these things alone choose Jesus for Jesus desires to be with you and will be with you as you stay fixed on him. And next, if you find yourself with some thorns. These thorns are representative of the world. They represent something that someone who, uh, excuse me, they re represent something that someone who is growing in Christ just can't quite let go of because they aren't ready to give up on that quite yet. It could be anything at all. And I won't go into any details on that because it, it, it's different for each one. But what it comes down to is if it comes to a point where you are hiding that from other people because you know it's wrong, that is where a thorn receives better treatment over the seed, which should be producing good fruit. If one spends more time with the thorn, the good seed will be suffocated. The good seed will drown out. This, ties, this one ties back in with the busyness of life because as I said, life gets busy. Whatever busyness that may be for you, we all go through it from time to time, but in tying this back with the wheat and the tares growing up together, it's not anyone else that can or should pull the tares, but it's me or you that has to pull the tares from our life. It's Jesus that leads us to do so. And I'm, I'm the only one 
that can truly recognize unless someone else receives a word from God, which I'm thankful for, and remove those tares. If I don't remove them, then when the time comes for the harvest, the tares will be burned and what's left will be stored. And at that point, I have to ask the question, are there going to be more tares or are there going to be more good crops? And finally, the good soil. The good soil. We have everything together and we are good to go. No worries at all. But I interrupt this Wednesday night broadcast to tell you that it's not that easy. Why? Because to keep the good soil good, we have to continue to guard our hearts. To keep the good soil good, we have to continue cultivating the soil. We have to continue cultivating our hearts and being in tune with what God desires for us. If God says this, changes that, corrects this, convicts me on that, then I have to do the work to make sure that I follow through with that to keep the good soil good. Each person is the cultivator of their own soil, their own heart. Each person takes what they learn, what they receive, and chooses whether or not to apply it. Preachers can preach and will preach until they are blue in the face sometimes because God gives them a word and that word is for you. How you care for the soil that you've been given will, will determine the life that you grow. Do you desire to grow more in Jesus each day? I know I may be preaching to the choir when I say this, but if you wish to grow with him each day, then there has to be time taken with him. You've got to make time for him. When I garden, the seed is planted, the seed is watered, the ground is fertilized, and I pull the weeds that try to overtake that garden. You see, I, I thought about this, and I wasn't sure if I was going to add this in my notes, but when I'm doing my gardening, and let's just say some, some random person, let's say, I'll just pick on Pastor Lucas. Let's say Pastor Lucas just comes to my backyard and just starts picking weeds, and my eyes get really big. I'm like, whoa. You don't know what I've planted there, Pastor Lucas. Be careful what you pull. I might be saving some of that stuff. There might be a tomato that looks like a weed. But you see, that's why when we, when we have this ground, we are this ground, and we've got to cultivate our own ground because if somebody else tries to come and cultivate it, not that we shouldn't receive a word from others. Hear me. We can receive that word, but if somebody tries to pull something from me, they might do more damage than not. That's why I've got to cultivate my own. I've got to be like, oh, is this what I need to keep? Nope, I've got to get rid of that. I've got to get rid of that too. Nope, that looks like a weed. I'm, I'm not 100% on that yet. You can help somebody in the cultivating of their hearts, but, but, but remember, allow them to kind of lead that conversation, if you will. Allow them to think, yeah, maybe I should, and encourage them to step in that right direction, to step closer to Jesus, because all of you in this room are in a relationship with him now, and you've seen Jesus through your worst times, and you know that Jesus has seen you through, and maybe that person is going through a really hard time right now, and maybe they just need you to walk with them, not say, hey, I'm up over here. You can get here too. All you got to do is get rid of some stuff. No. No. But you walk with them. 
You walk with them because if you're not going to walk with them, then who will? You see, sometimes we've got to take this journey with them because nobody else will. Nobody else will go to the uttermost parts of the earth if you don't go. If you don't go, then who? If you don't go now, then who will go and when will they go? You know, we, we do all of these things with our ground that are imperative to growth. But if I don't, then the outcome will be grim. If I don't cultivate my ground, the outcome will be grim. The weeds will overtake. I will lose the fruit that was expected. You see, it was up to Jesus to reveal how it landed and what condition the person would be to receive it. Jesus explained these four types so that the disciples could help with that initial sowing of that seed of the word. Remember, one plants and other waters, but God gets the increase. So you still plant those seeds. You still water those seeds. You worry not about where they land or, or how they land. You just keep sowing. There are too many lost and dying souls out there for me to worry about where it's going to land. I've just got to keep sowing. But if I can plant a seed in someone, no matter where it lands, I know that there is still a chance. For the word tells me so. Jesus tells me so right there. In any of the lands, you can remove the rocks. You can help remove the thorns. You can water some, put some water on the dry ground. There's always hope. No matter where it lands, there is still a chance. And as that seed sprouts, and so I've said, I'm going to go on a journey with that person for as long as it takes or until I feel the Lord release me from that. Why? Because that is a disciple. And just as the farmer will not give up on a harvest until it's to the point of no return, and even then some, a disciple should not give up on a lost soul. I understand that Jesus said we should sweep the dust off of our feet if we're not welcome. And yes, there's a time and a place for that, and we should follow that. But if we feel that there's something in that person, don't give up on them. And there are various types of soil throughout this world, just bringing this back in here. So my question that I've been led to ask is this. Does a farmer pack up everything and move if the ground is no longer good? Maybe sometimes. I know there's a lot more details that go into the ground and whatnot, but from what I've seen, more often than not, the farmer has to work with what he's been given. The farmer has to make some changes in how the seed is sown or, or, or you know, how the seed is prepared before it's sown. Like the farmer, sometimes we have to work with what has been given. We have to prepare ourselves for what's been given. Sometimes one takes a bit more labor than the other. Sometimes there's a bit more pain involved in one than the other. Sometimes there may be a bit more time involved than with others. You've seen people who have just received it right on the spot and there's no turning back. Guilty as charged. There was no turning back for me, but then you also see those, and this is no detriment to anyone, but you see those who, who have questions, and questions are good because, hey, I've still got questions too, but I ask those questions. You know why? Because I, I want to stay in the truth. You know, it, it, there may be more time involved with one than there is the other. Not that I, I didn't fall by the wayside, praise God, but there's some that if you don't stay with them, sometimes you've got to go on this journey with them, and I know I'm kind of talking in a big circle here, but, but the journey with this person only ends when the Lord releases you from them. Like the farmer who has studied the land to figure out what would work best, 
We as sowers of the seed should be sensitive to the people we're sharing Jesus with because there are no two that will be exactly the same. If we see the seed begin to sprout, then we've, we've, got, we've got work to do. To bring this all back around again, church, in, in talking about these four different types of grounds and how we spread the seed and how, how we spread the word, how we share the gospel with every one of these types of grounds, we share it without even knowing where it might land, but we share it anyway. Because we believe that God can work on every heart. He can work on every life. He can work on everything. And a lot of it comes down to the choices that, that a person's, person makes, but you're still sowing the seed. You're standing next to your brother or sister in Christ, and you're sowing these seeds. And those seeds may even overlap one another, which is okay because you understand that the kingdom of heaven is at hand. And since the kingdom of heaven is at hand, the souls, the lost souls that are still here, that are walking down the street, that are walking by you every day, wherever you may go, are at the forefront of your mind because you realize that since the kingdom of heaven is at hand, so the people that need Jesus are at hand as well because there will come a time that these people may not receive him. But we as the church, oh, that we would put on the mind of Christ for those that are lost because like Jesus, we want to see them saved, healed, and delivered. And it's not just a matter of if I share, but when I share. I want everyone, just like Jesus, I want everyone to come to a knowledge and an understanding of who Jesus is. I want people to see Jesus like I see him. I want people to receive Jesus like I did many years ago. I want Jesus people to experience Jesus like maybe I've never experienced him from their head to their toes with the evidence of speaking in other tongues. I want them to receive the baptism in Jesus. Jesus' name, I want them to walk a life worthy of the calling that God has put on their life. Amen? Amen. Because one day, every tongue, every tribe, every nation will bow down to the name of Jesus, whether they choose to or not. I wonder if we have some people here tonight who will see that with me. Who will see that. Who will see that with me of these lost souls being saved, of family members being saved, I wonder if we can stand, of co-workers being saved, of friends being saved, uh, of prodigals being saved, and that this would be at the forefront of our mind as we declare that the kingdom of heaven is at hand to those around us as we prepare our hearts to go forth and share this seed and spread this seed and share this word with others. You see, church, there is no time to be wasted. There's no time to speculate as to who is going to receive it and who is not. No, you just keep sharing the word. You just keep spreading that seed and God will get the increase. I wonder if we can just spend the next few moments in prayer. Say, Jesus, prepare my heart right now 
now. Rid me of anything that may be deterring me from sharing your word, Lord. Lord, you see the type of ground that I am, and I know you're able to mold me into what you want me to be. Remove the stones if they need to be removed. Remove the thorns if they need to be removed. Add the water if it needs to be added, Lord. I want to be the good soil. Lord, show me. Put it at the forefront of my mind. My coworkers that are asking about you. My family that needs you. My, my friends that, that don't know you yet. That are living that life that may not be pleasing to you. Lord, keep them at the forefront of my mind so that I can live with the purpose that you have intended for me to live. Lord, you've called me to the depths. You've called me to the darkest places where these people are so that I can bring them out. So that I can carry them. Come on, somebody. Why don't you pray with me? Hallelujah. All over this place. Oh, thank you, Jesus. You are God. You are. You have called me to these places, oh God. You have called me to the lost and dying generation. You have called me to those that don't know you. You filled me with your spirit, oh God. Not so that I can just keep it to myself, but so that I can share it with others. So I can share your good news with others. Lord, you've seen me through some things. Not so that I can just stay there, but so that I can see others through. So that I can walk side by side by those that need to know you. In Jesus' name, we thank you, oh God. Let's clap our hands to the Lord all over this place. Um, I don't normally come up here, and Pastor Trevor, you did a great job. Great job is a great word, but I just feel as he was talking about these soils, I just wanted to encourage somebody, both for yourself and perhaps somebody you've worked with. It feels like that things have constantly come in your life, and you have a great church service, but it gets choked out of you, or stuff gets snatched away, or Man, it feels like there's just so many obstacles in my life and there's a lot of stones in my soil. But a couple things. One, you're still here. The seed is still falling on your soil. God has purpose for you. He believes in you. He's working on you. And you're going to blossom. And you're not just going to blossom, but you're going to stay. And you're going to produce. And you're going to see it through to the end. And secondly... Don't give up on that other soil you're working with because those weeds will come out. Those thorns will get taken care of, and God's got you. So if you've been feeling a little bit down and you feel a little bit wore out, you're still here, and God's still pouring his seed on you. God's got a purpose for you. God bless you. Have a great week. Continue to work the soil. Continue to stay faithful for God. Thank you, Pastor Trevor. Hallelujah. <laughs>